0: From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest LPL Market Signals. Jeff Cookbrinder here with Lawrence Gillum, our chief fixed income strategist. How are you today, Lawrence? I'm good, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Doing fine. We are putting equities and bonds together uh, again on the podcast for you this week. So thanks, Lawrence, for joining Looking forward to um, a good mix of topics. Certainly, uh, the equity markets and the bond markets are giving us some interesting things to talk about. So let's get right into it. We'll show you these lovely disclosures and then show you the agenda for this week. Um, It is Monday, August 21st, 2023, as we are recording this. Uh, We're going to start by just recapping last week's market action quickly. Of course, the big story being the rising interest rates and what that has done to stocks certainly the primary driver of the pullback so related to that we'll talk about where this pullback pullback might go next that's the topic of our weekly market commentary on lpl.com for this week and then um you know what are we what are we um watching in the rate market what does the move in rates mean where might that go right so you could argue that really the whole the whole call is just about rising rates and And the implications because you know when we preview the week ahead, we're going to talk about Jackson Hole, the Fed meeting. Uh coming up, uh, I guess it starts Thursday, and then Friday morning we'll hear from uh your Pal. So that's the agenda. Uh let's start with um a quick recap of last week, Lawrence. Uh, you know, I'll do stocks and then we'll jump to the next page and bonds, and you can weigh in. Uh, market down for the third straight week, SP down a little over two percent. Uh NASDAQ did a little worse. Russell 2000 small cap index, even a little bit worse than that, uh, down about 3.5%. So it's market jitters around rising rates primarily. Certainly, the uh, negative news out of China has not helped uh, the property crisis and just, frankly, a series of weak economic data. Uh, So that's added to uh, concerns. But really, we think this is a a rising rate story, and, and that ties to the Fed. Uh, certainly um, ties to stock valuations. You know, beyond that, I mean, as you've had this dollar rally lately that has weighed on international equities. So um, you didn't get really any diversification benefit, we'll call it, uh, by going um, outside the US. We really think you need some dollar tailwind for um, the international markets to really make some headway uh, against the domestic markets. We have gotten one piece of what you need for international to outperform, and that's weakness in U.S. tech. We didn't get that uh, last week, but you know during this pullback, which is now about uh, about four point six percent in August, uh, certainly tech has led the way down. So you see in the uh, the table to the right, while tech was a strong performer last week, thanks in large part to Nvidia, the chipmaker riding the AI boom. Is reporting earnings this week on Wednesday and uh was real strong last week in, anticip- in anticipation of that report. Uh and that fueled uh, tech gain. So tech was the, the best sector last week, but as you see in the one-month column, uh it's actually led the way down down nine percent uh over the last um, 30 days or so. So I think that's really all I want to say there. Um well let's go to the bond side and I'll hand it over to you, Lauren. So um you know, of course, rising rates pushes bond prices down. Uh, what else do you want to share about uh, last week's bond market action?
1: Yep. So it was another week of higher rates. I don't know if the Treasury needs to change its name and have uh, AI in, in the name to help offset some of these increases in yields, uh, but we don't we don't get that benefit. So uh, it's been five weeks in a row of, of increasing uh, Treasury yields. And frankly, last week, no place to hide. Now, generally speaking over the past couple months anyway credit has been a, a good spot to hide in uh, we've talked about credit how it's really bucking the trend in terms of uh, what happens historically when you get these sort of macro headwinds uh, but it sold off last week as well so frankly just no real real good place to hide in the fixed income markets cash is probably your your best performer last week it's uh, uh we continue to see flows into the the cash market uh, over 5.5 trillion in in cash a- assets now uh cash isn't a legitimate asset class again we've we warned a- about putting too much money into cash but it is a it is an asset class that has um done well with this uh, this recent rise in treasury yields though
0: yeah it's a period where you've got to play a little bit of defense I guess you could say on the equity side and the and the fixed income side but, which generally we're doing we you know, our recommended asset allocation for LPL research, we did take down risk, uh, you know, early in the summer, or late spring, and um, are still comfortable with that, you know, kind of neutral equities with a little bit of additional core bonds uh, to help mitigate risk. But certainly in the last, uh, you know, few weeks as this uh, rate rise has taken place, bonds have not been able to to offer you the uh, diversification benefit. We still think they will, but we'll get into this a little bit more here in a bit. but. Um, you know in the very near term Lawrence i know um you know think there's a little bit of a little bit more risk uh that um you know the 10 year yield stays a little bit higher uh for longer than maybe we uh, we had previously in, anticipated so let us uh with that teaser let's get into the stock market pullback again this is our weekly market commentary for this week you know a, a question i'm sure many of you uh are asking uh for those of you who follow the markets closely is where might this pullback go right we we're bouncing on monday but we had uh, almost a 5% pullback we're actually right at the fair value target uh, that we've set for the S&P at around 4400 now so um you know you could argue that maybe we don't have a lot of conviction in either direction at that point but from a technical analysis perspective just looking at the charts uh these were put together by our chief market technician adam turnquist we have 4,200 to 4,300 is a logical place to land. Now, 4,200 to 4,300 doesn't hold, you know, based on the previous support levels and previous resistance levels, right? After you break through upside resistance, that then becomes support. So, once if we break below that range, then you're talking about the 200 day moving average. Now, one of the reasons we pulled back in addition to higher interest rates was that the market was overbought in July, right? You can see that in the bottom panel here. The 200-day moving average was 13% above, uh, or the market was trading at a 13% premium to the 200-day moving average, right? So that could be another landing spot for this pullback. And that's not that far down, uh, but it would end up with a 10% correction if we get down to, let's say, 41.30 or so where uh, where that moving average is. So those are some levels to think about. Uh, in the weekly market commentary, again, on LPL.com, we also highlight the seasonal pattern here. Now, you've heard us talking about how the S&P 500 does not do as well in August, September, and early October. Well, if you look at the VIX, the measure of implied volatility based on the options market, it follows the same pattern, right? A higher VIX is negative for stock prices and vice versa, Generally. So um, you know we've highlighted where we are here at about week 32 I think in the uh in the calendar year this is the start of what you typically see as a rising VIX period peaking maybe week 41 42 that's you know getting us uh you know a couple months out and then we tend to see it fall back half of October uh through the end of the year so if we follow this seasonal period the point here is that we're we're in for a little bit more um, volatility. Now, what does that look like in terms of stock market performance? Uh, that's what you see here in this uh, this table. So, what we did is we took, you know, all the years back to nineteen fifty, from January to August, actually January to July thirty first, so, and broke those returns down into quintiles. So, the first eight months of the year, if they're up fifteen percent, you're in quintile one. That's over 15, actually 15.4% to be precise. When you're in that quintile, you on average see additional gains of 5.2% with an average max drawdown of 8.6%. So based on history, we could see stocks end the year 5% higher than where they ended July, but still have a 9% roughly correction in that period. So uh, I think... I think we would take that, right? Now, the average, maybe we would argue the average um, August to December market pattern is more likely. So there you see an average gain of 3.4% in the last four months of the year. That would put us a little bit shy of the record high on the S&P 500, somewhere in the 4,700 range. And then uh, the average drawdown is about 10%. So we could see that but that would be totally normal. So for those of you who are, you know, maybe gonna get a little bit more nervous if we drop another few points, uh, this historical study uh, can uh, maybe make you feel a a little bit more comfortable. So more volatility to come, you know, we probably have to get through uh, September, maybe into early October before we, you know, convincingly, convincingly bottom here in the midst of this pullback. And then maybe we can stage a late year rally. <clears throat> Certainly the economic data, <clears throat> excuse me, the economic data has been supportive of stocks going higher. Certainly the earnings season has been supportive of stocks going higher, but valuations and rates uh, are not right now supportive. We don't think of stocks going higher. So let's turn to rates, Lawrence. And this is going to be your section. Um, you know, I mean, the first obvious question is how much higher do we go, right? Uh 433 on the 10 years last I saw, which I think is the intraday high from last year. So we are, you'll see this on a chart in a second. We are really close to breaking out to what like 14-year highs, something like that, 15-year highs. Uh you know, I don't know if that's gonna happen or not, but you know, if what what's the risk to the upside for yields? I guess is the first question. Where might they go? And then the uh I think the next question is what are rates telling us?
1: Yeah. So we are approaching these 15 year uh 15, 16 year highs in, in rates. Uh this is another chart from Adam uh, suggesting that after the the breakout, if we do get past this 433 level, uh, that next area to to watch out for is 4.5%. Beyond that, it's 4.7%. So there is potentially more upside. Potential in yields, you know, we we set out a 325 375 year in target. A lot of that was uh, predicated on an economic slowdown, perhaps a contraction. Uh, we'll see on the next chart. Uh, the, the bond market is really starting to price that out even further now. So, um, you know, as 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 paradoxical perhaps as it seems, as long as we get continued strong economic data we could see potentially more upside potential on yields, right. So if you want to go to the next slide, the bond market has been pricing in this uh, potential recession for for quite some time now. We talk about inverted yield curves as precursors to recessions. We're starting to see that disinvert a little bit. And what we call is we call this trade is is a bear steepener. you know, in the fixed income world we have a We have our own language. We have our own little uh, decoder rings, et cetera. So what we're seeing now is a a bear steeper steepener, not to be confused with a bull steepener. And all that means is that within a bear steepener, the long end of the the treasury yield curve is moving higher than the the short end of the yield curve, meaning that uh, the, the yield curve is starting to disinvert. So a lot of that is predicated again on just the strong economic data that we've seen recently. We continue to see economic surprises to the upside. Uh, so, the bond market, uh, for a couple other reasons as well, but the bond market, frankly, is starting to price out the prospects of a near term recession. Now, uh, we just saw on the 10 year, you know, maybe there's additional 20 basis points, perhaps 30 basis points of, of upside in terms of potential yields that would take us back to kind of like the a negative 30 uh, basis points and negative 0.3% uh, inversion um so i think that's probably the 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 extent of any sort of steepener that we could see at least in the near term now we've also, we've talked about other reasons why we're seeing uh the yield curve disinvert it's you know we've we've seen a lot of supply come to the market in terms of treasury treasury issuance the treasury came out a couple of weeks ago and said that they need to borrow a lot more than what markets were expecting that put upward pressure on yields. Uh, and then, of course, the um the, the actions out of other central banks tend to push yields higher as well. Uh, so it's been kind of a, a perfect storm, if you will, in terms of reasons why we're starting to see uh intermediate and longer term yields move higher. Uh the, the front end of the yield curve is, is frankly anchored to Fed Fed rate hike expectations. They've stayed pretty uh static over the course of the past call, it, you know, few months but it's really the back end of the yield curve these longer maturities uh these you know 10 years and and out seeing the most volatility right now and that's of course uh that's going to have impacts to the real economy that has impacts to the stock market and of course the bond market as well
0: yeah it's it's hard enough to predict the next few months <laughs> but we we spend so much time talking about longer term uh economic forecasts right i think yeah, you know, I like to think about upside downside. We obviously we don't have a crystal ball, we say it all the time. If uh you know, if we go to 4 or 5 or four or six on the 10 year before we make a peak, uh th- that's you know, 30 20, 20 30 basis points of upside. But if you look at what downside we could have if the economy slows down to or or stalls in the, you know, latter part of the year or early 2024, which is our house view, you know, how much further down could yields go? Well, you know, you just said, it, Lawrence, I think maybe we could see 375 or lower, right? That's 50, 60 basis points. So as, I mean, this is my equity mind thinking about this, right? seems like we have more downside to rates than, than upside. And if we do go up a little bit more, you know, maybe duration looks even better. Maybe people want to extend maturities. Maybe folks who haven't had uh, An overweight to fixed income to date. Want to think about maybe moving in that direction. What do you think?
1: Yeah, no, and that's been our our mindset too. The the, the risk reward for fixed income is is fairly asymmetric at these levels, meaning that there's uh, potentially more upside return, downside yields, uh, side yields, downside uh, prices. So it, we we have uh, been slightly overweight fixed income. Again, the, the house view is maybe we do get that that economic contraction. Even if we don't get an economic contraction, starting yields are still at, at very attractive levels. We just talked about the ten-year Treasury yield being the highest level it's been since I think two thousand seven. Uh, so, you know, taking a taking advantage of these higher yields, and and you know, the great thing about fixed income is that you can buy and hold. You can buy a bond and and hold it to maturity, and all that rate volatility in between. It's not going to impact a lot of it's not going to impact anything in terms of getting uh, paid back at par. so the, the the starting yield environment for a lot of fixed income markets is the best it has been in, in quite some time. If, so if you if you're a, a client or an advisor that has a, a, a time horizon measured in years, not quarters or months measured in you know three or five year time horizons, you know fixed income is a, a really attractive opportunity right now, especially for those investors that need income.
0: Yeah, and if rates do move lower and you get that extra appreciation on your fixed income, you probably also get some equity uh, upside as well because valuations are, of course, tied to yields. You know, we've taken about a point and a half or so off of PE ratios in the S&P with this pullback because earnings have held up so well. Uh, it's, you know, the the decline in stock prices has come directly out of valuations. Uh, and frankly, you know, now... 18 and a half times looks looks pretty reasonable. So, I mean, that's consistent with our fair value assessment that the S&P 500 right here is worth 4,400. Uh, so maybe that all makes sense, but uh, you know lower rates can be good for bonds and, and good for stocks here. So thanks for that, Lawrence. We got uh, Jackson Hole coming up. And of course, that is putting everybody's focus squarely on the Fed. So we just pulled the latest ex- expectations for Fed funds. Uh, it really isn't, Showing a high probability of a rate hike uh, over the next couple of meetings, right? I think at last check, maybe thirty percent chance that after the September and November meetings that we have a hike, right? That's you know basically saying that most people don't expect uh, the Fed to hike at all. So is the market wrong here? Are we going to get one more hike?
1: Yeah, I mean, it certainly depends on the data, right? But if you look at the, the chart here, these orange bars represents the number of hikes or cuts that are priced into the market. Uh, it's really hard to see with this dual uh, axis here, but um, on the right-hand side, you're looking at the number of hikes priced in, and right now, markets are saying you know less than one. So markets do think that the, the Fed is done. Maybe we get one more kind of insurance hike just to, just to be on the safe side. We've heard some Fed officials talk about the need to do maybe one more uh to get the Fed funds rate into really, really restrictive territory to help bring down some of those inflationary pressures. We've seen a lot of movement in, in inflation. I think that the the goal or the, the, the kind of the next hurdle is getting from that three percent inflation rate down to two percent. Uh so maybe that one more insurance hike is is um is necessary, but frankly, I mean we're we're we think we're of the we're of the view that the, the Fed is is. Likely going to be done uh, after after uh, November, if in fact they do raise rates in November. But um, it's been a pretty aggressive rate hiking campaign relative to history, uh, and you know the good news is we think that it's it's almost over.
0: Yeah, and then historically you tend to see rates fall after the Fed finishes, right, Lawrence? So that that's another reason why we think rates might move lower. I mean, you know, maybe it's not next week, maybe it's not next month, but. Uh, the the risk of further huge moves in rates higher we think is fairly low although there, there have been some pretty big names out there Lauren, you know Lawrence Summers, Larry Summers is one um, that have been saying that rates could maybe go as high as five, maybe you know the ten year or maybe even six. Um, you know I, I like to look at the nominal GDP growth outlook, right to, to kind of anchor my 10-year yield expectations. So that's pretty hard to see if we're going to have a slowing economy and falling inflation. Uh, you know, w- would you put odds on that, Lawrence? That I mean, what are the, w- w- what is Summer seeing? Maybe that would yeah. suggest uh, you know we could just blow through four and a half and blow through five.
1: Yep. So so his view is that we get back to those pre-COVID levels. We get back to a Fed funds rate that's more uh, in the you know two and a half three ish percent uh, levels. And then you have a, a term premium, or or you know a, a a risk, an additional risk priced into owning bonds. But um, you know, four point seven was the average ten year Treasury yield from say two thousand to two thousand and eight before the the global financial crisis. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that we see something like that. Six may be hard to get to, only because if you think about the impact that. that Treasury yields have on the real economy. so the ten-year Treasury yield is uh, directly part of the equation for mortgage rates. So that would mean mortgage rates are in that eight and a half, almost nine percent type levels. Which um, you know we're we're looking at house housing affordability that's at the lowest levels in quite some time already. So if we get to that nine, you know, eight and a half, nine percent mortgage rates, I mean that could be a, a a real reason why the the economy falters even more. So. <laughs> Never say no zero percent probability, but I my view is that you know we could see four and a half, we could see four, seven. Um, but six percent seems fairly unrealistic given the amount of debt uh that that um that that consumers use on a on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, it's also hard to make the case that we're gonna have you know nominal GDP. So have the economy without inflation adjustments grow 5% for any meaningful amount of time. Right. We're we're seeing falling inflation already. Uh, you know, ignore this Atlanta Fed GDP now tracker that says growth's going to be 6%. Um it's not going to be 6% in Q3 and it's not going to be sustained at 6% uh, either. So we're heading to a slower growth economy. I think we can all agree on that. Less economic growth, less inflation, we think. Although there's, of course, always the chance that inflation reaccelerates like it did in the 1970s and 80s. We get that, but low probability that that happens. So, you know, there's going to be a cap, we think, on on, on rates, on how much economic growth and inflation can lift rates. So uh, interesting discussion um, there, Lawrence. uh, You know, of course, ties to the big event of the week, which is Jackson Hole. You know, we're probably going to get more of the same from the Fed that they're going to be data dependent. Uh, but they're going to talk about structural shifts in the economy uh, as I understand it. And so, I mean, I guess it's possible that we get some sort of surprise from from Powell and company that, that the market's not expecting. There's a history for that, right? A few years ago we got surprised actually maybe a couple of times since the pandemic, maybe we've been a little surprised by uh, Jackson hole. So could we get a surprise if we do get a surprise, even if we don't expect it, what, what might that surprise be?
1: Yeah, so Jackson Hole is, is a, a gathering hosted by the Kansas City Fed. I've um, I've lobbied for an invite. I've not gotten one ever. Uh, I'm a little disappointed about that, but uh, we do. It, it is an event where a lot of uh, academics and central bankers they they head out west and they talk mostly about policy tweaks or or things that uh, are happening big picture within the within uh, monetary policy. It's unlikely they'll talk about kind of next month's inflationary pressures. This is kind of big thinking type uh, symposium. You know, J- uh, Chair Powell is going to be there. You have the the Bank of England going to be there. The the new uh, uh, president of the Bank of Japan is going to be there. So there's always there's always the potential for a surprise, even if it doesn't come from Chair Powell. You know the you know we've we've talked about this new uh, president of the Bank of Japan, Bank of Japan Ueda. Maybe he says something that's you know controversial in terms of relaxing yield curve control even further so you you never know uh but the the theme of the event is structural shifts in the global economy a lot of people are uh assuming that pal and others are going to present arguments as to why interest rates aren't as impactful in the US economy as they have been in the past so maybe that does mean treasury yields and other bond yields are uh you know stay elevated for for longer but uh, it's it's important to remember a lot of this stuff is just academic and and ne- doesn't necessarily influence uh, policy. Chair Powell is a very pragmatic chairman, uh, and he's talked down some of the the uh, academic research that you know is is pr- potentially going to be presented at at this um, at this conference or or symposium. But yeah, my expectation is the chair Powell is going to come out higher for longer. Job's not done, more, you know, more work to do, but you know, given the amount of Fed speakers that we get on a on a weekly basis, I would be very surprised to hear anything different from what we've heard over the past couple of months.
0: Yeah, that that all makes sense. Uh, I mean, you, you wouldn't expect, you know, the Bank of Japan to sort of upstage the Fed and announce some big surprise here. It just doesn't seem like the forum for that to me. Uh, but. Uh, I mean, the market's always trying to read between the lines, and so you know, somebody could maybe convey some sort of message that, and and not quite the way they intend to, right? The market could read between those lines, and you could have a market reaction certainly to something um, out of Japan or out of out of Europe. It'll be um, it'll be interesting to see. In, In terms of the point you made, Lawrence, about the market not being as or the economy not being as interest rate sensitive as it used to be i mean the fact that so many mortgages are fixed at such low rates is a huge piece of that right and then the the fact that so many people still have you know excess cash i mean we've drawn down a lot of that excess cash actually the majority of the excess pandemic cash but there's still some excess cash left and when you're sitting on a bunch of cash, you're not going to be as interest rate sensitive because maybe you're not borrowing as much. People are you know, borrowing on their credit cards. But um, in general, I think there's less economic sensitivity, maybe on rate increases where people might borrow, uh, you know, cars, for example, uh, or major appliances, things of that nature. Uh, people have been drawing down that cash and uh and and ha- which has mitigated the effects of of rising interest rates uh yeah that's
1: right so household uh, credit creation has really slowed outside of credit cards credit card usage or, or credit card balances represent about say call it 5 or 6% of total household debt levels so that other 94% of of household debt hasn't really been impacted as much because of the of these rate increases and you also uh Consider that it's not just consumers, it's companies as well. Corporations termed out debt and issued a lot of debt at very low interest rates uh, over the past couple of years. So we've seen right. issuance in the corporate credit markets kind of slow to a crawl as well. Uh, so my my view is that you're either in the camp that interest rates matter or they don't. And just because they haven't thus far doesn't mean that they won't. So um, I'm a little skeptical that we're in a, a, a rate environment where we can get back to these interest rates that were prevalent in the 80s and 90s without causing some, you know, pretty serious economic damage because I think we do have a, uh, we've become a lot more comfortable buying things or, or financing things using debt. So I don't think that that's going to go away. Personally,
0: yeah, you're probably right. I mean, and there's a limit to how much the home builders can buy down mortgage rates, <laughs> right? To uh, uh, to sell houses to first time home buyers who who don't want to pay seven percent. Totally get that. Um, so uh, certainly those are some of the things Fed's gonna talk about um, on um, Friday throughout the weekend, I guess, while they're fly fishing, right? That's what Volker did. Guess it's tr- a tradition in, in Jackson Hole. When you get your invite, Lawrence, bring bring your fly fishing equipment. I'm not a fly fisherman, but bring bring your stuff because actually maybe you should talk about what an avid fly fisherman you are. And that's the secret to getting that that invitation.
1: Well, I've, I've thought about just showing up, but that's probably frowned upon, um, you know, I might be asked to leave.
0: Yeah, you might not get past the uh, velvet rope there. Yeah, but, uh, it's so- something to think about. You know, we do have a number of listeners to this podcast. So, you know, if somebody who has some poll there, you know, is, is listening, uh, help help Lawrence out. Indeed. If anybody should have this, the poll, it should be me being from Kansas City. As we uh, we know, this is a Kansas City Fed-hosted event. So I'll try to pull some strings for you, Lawrence. Uh, so what else we got? This week, we got uh, NVIDIA results on Wednesday. It was such a, a shocker in a good way. <laughs> such a blowout last quarter. Uh, I mean, before NVIDIA reported, I said tech earnings were not that great. They're fine. They're in line. Then we got NVIDIA, and it lifted the entire sector it basically said, move out of the way, Apple, I'm taking over. (laughs) Okay, And we ended up seeing estimates for tech jump, the whole sector here, jump 2%, just because of what happened with NVIDIA, which is one company, (laughs) right? A semiconductor company that is benefiting from this AI boom. So this will be one of the most closely watched earnings reports of this season. After what they did last season, it's hard to envision them doing anything that would bring the house down like they did last quarter, but um, certainly based on what we're hearing, uh, the demand for AI is not waning. (laughs) We're probably fairly early innings. So I think you'll hear some good things about the market for uh, for AI uh, from NVIDIA, regardless of what the earnings say or what the market reaction is to the company report. Um, So that's a big thing for this week. Interestingly, the two biggest events of the week are not on this table. (laughs) right? Jackson Hole is not on the economic calendar here that I'm showing you out of Bloomberg. Uh, And (laughs) the NVIDIA report, earnings report is not on this table either. But uh, I guess I'll just highlight durable goods is interesting, uh, only because this Atlanta Fed GDP Now report, this tracker is saying that GDP growth in Q3 is just going to be Massive, right? So we would look for um, you know cooler heads to prevail. Maybe after we get the durable goods data, uh, that'll start cooling off a bit. Or maybe the new new home sales uh, data. If the economy can grow three percent in Q three, that would be tremendous, right? And it probably means recession can't start until you know Q two of next year. If we get a really strong GDP report in Q three, we'll see. Q three is not over yet. Um and of course the data is reported with a lag. So um th- don't expect that kind of a blowout number even though initial data is is pointing that direction. So anything else here, Lawrence, that jumps out at you?
1: No, I mean it's a relatively late economic week. All the uh all the central bankers are in, in uh in Jackson Hole. You know the, the Michigan inflation expectations, those are always somewhat interesting only because Chair Powell has referenced them on occasion. Uh, But frankly, it's all about uh, Jackson Hole and and to your point, NVIDIA. Yeah.
0: And then, you know, claims we watch every week because we want to see if the job market is weakening, which of course could be a precursor uh, to um, slower growth or recession. We've been, you know, in the 230 range, 230, 240 range for a little while here. Uh, And um, certainly we haven't seen any incremental deterioration in the job market that would get us worried about. Uh, recession or even a meaningful slowdown in the short term. We still think it'll come, right? Consumers drawing down savings, the delayed impact of all of these rate hikes, certainly. Just those two factors alone, we think, uh, you know, slow this economy down over the next uh, several quarters. But how much remains to be seen. So, um, you know, watch Jackson Hole, watch NVIDIA. You know, beyond that, I'm not sure anything's going to really move the needle um too much this week and then of course watch rates because i mean we haven't seen 430 plus on the 10-year yield in a long time so definitely wanted to spend a good amount of time on that topic as as we did and we certainly have the right person to uh to weigh in there so um thank you lawrence for uh for joining any uh closing remarks before we sign off
1: uh, no, thanks for thanks for having me and um you know again we'll we'll watch the rates market and and provide any sort of information out there that's that's relevant to our advisors and their clients.
0: Excellent. Um so again, weekly market commentary is called Perspectives on the Pullback or something along those lines. You can find that on lpl.com and then certainly we'll continue to follow uh, the um, thoughts on the rates market from Lawrence and team. So, yes, thanks, everybody, for joining. Thanks, Lawrence, for uh, weighing in on the fixed income markets, which are, I mean, they're always important, but they're really important uh, right now, pretty much uh, driving everything. So uh, thank you for that. We will be back with you next week. As always, thanks for listening to LPL Market
2: Signals. Take care, everybody. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker dealer, member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through